this is Last Jackson, uh, the host of the Pistons vs. Everybody pod. Um, I did a, a joint podcast with Mark Schindler of Indie Cornrows and Premium Hoops. Uh, we talked about the Pacers and the Pistons matchup, talked about a bunch of other stuff too, had a really great time. Mark is a, a great dude to talk to. You should follow him on all social media platforms. Um, yeah, the Pistons lost by 25 points, or they lost by 20-ish points, and we still managed to get like a, you know a good amount of chunk of podcast out of it. So it's a, it's a good time. Uh, with that said, here is the podcast I did with Mark Schindler. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. Uh, actually, I mean technically crossover of uh, is this? A, I, I don't know if it's going up on Detroit Bad Boys or uh, Pistons versus everybody, but uh, psyched to be joined by uh, by Lazarus Jackson, friend of mine and uh, one of the one of my favorite people to talk hoops with. Uh, Laz, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Mark. This is going up on the uh, Pistons versus Everybody Pod, so check check that feed uh, during the week. But yeah, man, it's uh. I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, as excited as I can be, after like a <laughs> yeah. 25 point loss or 20 point loss, but you know, happy to talk to you, man. Yeah, definitely, man. I uh, so I, I guess the first thing I'll ask right off the bat, um, the most important question that we can have in a, in a 25 point win: How do you feel about beef stew? I, I was talking to this with with uh, with mutual friend James Edwards uh, yesterday. I can't I, I can't for the life of me understand Beef Stew as the nickname for Isaiah Stewart. I think Isaiah Stewart is too good of a player to 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 be deduced to beef stew. Um I think that I don't know, man. I, I think James and I kind of settled on big stew is a little bit better, but where are you at with that? Because I uh, I, I can't get over it, man. Big stew, I feel like is the compromise. I'm actually team beef stew oh, just man. because I, I I know, I know. But it it's so apt because he's so hardy and he works <laughs> so hard. Like it, it just, and his last name is Stuart and he's beefy. He's a giant dude. Like okay. it, it, just, it just works. That reminds me of, do you, you remember the uh, Donovan McNabb commercials that he used to do? Oh God. The oh yeah. Yeah. Campbell's. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Uh, like just the, just yeah. Meme those with Isaiah Stewart on, on Donovan McNabb's body. Pretty much, you know, <laughs> it works. Same thing. Um, but no, okay. So more, you know, diving into the game. How, how blanket statement? How'd you feel about the game in like one sentence or less? You know, they haven't won two consecutive games, which is understandable because they're six and nineteen. Um, this is this is the first game in a row. This is the first game in a while, I should say, that Jeremy Grant had a bad night. Yeah, that and stuck out to me. Yeah, I was curious to see how the Pacers would handle him because they. Uh, they like don't classically have like that dude in the starting lineup who like shuts Jeremy Grant like down, but Jeremy just shut him down himself down tonight. Didn't you know how they got a lot of good looks? Uh, just didn't convert. Didn't get to the free throw line as much as he normally does. Um, some people on Pistons Twitter were like a little complaining about the refs. I'm like, it, it's whatever. Uh, he's shooting like six free throws a game. He just didn't get there tonight. It happens. Um, and so yeah, and so now we see what this Pistons team looks like. When Jeremy Grant has a bad yeah. night and it's a big struggle on offense, and that's uh, that's not surprising, but it's definitely disappointing. Yeah, no, that's a really great point, and I think that stuck out stuck out to me for two reasons. Number one, for the for the Pacers, um, I mean, they've been just absolutely at the mercy of big wings who can do anything with the ball in their hands this year. 
uh, because they don't have TJ Warren right now. And uh, it's funny because most people think of TJ Warren in terms of offense, and he's definitely more of an offense first player. He grew a lot as a def- as a defender last year, but I mean, he's just the only guy who's that size on the roster that can actually stay on the court and play defense on anybody else's size. Um, so they've been absolutely just killed killed by that this year. Um, so I was really impressed with how they played on Jeremy defensively, but also I thought a lot was just he, he missed a lot of open shots too, especially from three. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I, I want to ask you too. I mean, I've heard your thoughts on it on, on your pod and uh, just on, on the timeline, but what have you thought of Jeremy this year? Because I think uh, I've been, I think, more optimistic about the Pistons and where they're at than the general person. I think that I, I mean, we talked about this earlier in the year. I really like what the Pistons are doing. I, I like a lot of Troy Weaver's moves. Um, they're not exactly uh, – most people wouldn't exactly look at what Troy Weaver's – well, a lot of people looked at what Troy Weaver's doing and uh, haven't been uh, – they've been skeptical, I think would be a good way to put it. Um, but I think you can already see the seeds laying out of how things are working. You know, I think Jeremy was obviously a great gamble. You're seeing a lot of the young guys start to play out. Um I mean, Josh Jackson, like just guys like Josh Jackson getting an opportunity, uh, like second draft guys, or oh, I guess Josh Jackson's like fourth draft pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's he only played for three teams, but it feels like it's on his fifth or sixth already. But um, I don't know. So, yeah. I've, I've really liked how things are playing out so far. Yeah. So, like, you know, after it's weird to say this, like after the, the 20 point loss, but, uh, you know, James Edwards had a, a piece last week, like Duncan Smith had a piece last week at Hoops Habit. Um, and this is like something that the it's been kind of noticeable. This is like the the best worst team exactly. In the I, yeah, I, I've I've said that before too. I'm like this is this team like they're they're six and nineteen, but like they I don't know they feel like they could be eleven and, and fourteen or something. Yeah, they're, or like, they're, you know. if I remember correctly, they're twenty first in defensive rating and like twenty third in offensive rating. Mm-hmm. So like if, if you just pair those together, they're somewhere between like the fifth or sixth worst team in the league, not like the absolute worst team in the league. Um, and it's just like earlier in the year is a combination of they just piled up a bunch of losses because they played a bunch of close games and lost um, as like things have just gone along the season. They've been able to compete against really good teams, but then you'll, you'll see nights like tonight. Um, you'll see nights like they had like a 18 point loss to Cleveland like a week and a half ago. That was just like, I don't really know how that happened, but it <laughs> yeah. did. Um, they got like completely eviscerated for three quarters versus the jazz. And so like the, the, the front office has done an excellent job of putting together a, a very competitive team that's going to fulfill their stated goal of getting the Pistons a high, high draft pick. Now, Jeremy Grant, on the other hand, Jeremy Grant's been like a revelation, right? He's been um, he's been much more of like an on-ball scorer than anybody had any right to expect. He's been a much better passer and distributor than uh, anybody had any right to expect. That was one thing that I think he did a pretty nice job of tonight. Just, again, guys didn't hit open shots when you shoot what did they shoot i think they only made like five threes on the night right yeah when you shoot five for 28 from three like bad things happen right <laughs> yes. just like that that's that is what it is and uh i mentioned the free throw thing but like yeah he's getting a line six times a night and that's kind of what's keeping him efficient as a score and so like when you put those three those three things together like yeah he's just been a very very impressive uh player for this detroit pistons team i wanted to ask you since you have like an outside Detroit perspective, you know, do you think Jeremy Grant has been a, a, an all-star caliber player this year? You think he can make the all-star team? That's a good question. I uh, personally, I mean, if I was somebody who, uh, I mean, if 
all right, you know, I, I'm sick of the fan vote personally, just because Clay Thompson getting votes is, is annoying to me. Same thing with <laughs> Alex Caruso, like love Alex Caruso. Oh yeah. Caruso's top 10. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like it's just that, that, that's, that incessantly annoys me, but also because I'm just, uh, I take basketball way too seriously sometimes, but to answer the question, I think he's been an all-star this year. Um, it's really hard for me to not look at what he's doing, uh, with the efficiency he's doing it. I mean, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting, um, he has positive on-offs. Like he, I mean, he's doing all the things that an all-star does. I mean, he's not an all-star starter, but, I mean, he's averaging 24 points per game on slightly above league average true shooting while also being one of the better defenders in the league. You know, I, I don't think he's quite all defense or anything, but um, I think that counts for something. Uh, I, I, You know, it's annoying because I don't love when people just throw out the, oh, good stats, bad team. Well, yeah, he's putting up good stats on a bad team, but it's not like it doesn't matter. I mean, he's still doing a lot. I think this Pistons team, like you're mentioning, I mean, they're probably the worst team in basketball if they don't have Jeremy Grant or if Jeremy Grant's last year's Jeremy Grant. Um, yeah, they are. They are so bad as a team without Jeremy Grant. And they're still a six-win team kind of with him. So, And I think it's interesting, right, because – I agree with you. And of course I'm biased. Like, of course I think Jeremy Grant should go to the all-star game. I'm a Pistons guy, but like when, when people say like bad stats or good stats, bad team, they're usually talking about like the Trey Young's and the Bradley Beals with Mm -hmm. like the, the super high usage rate. And, uh, and as a function of that, just like putting up a lot of scoring and, uh, and doing everything for their teams. Like Jeremy's doing a lot for this team, but he's not doing everything. And he's also been, much better defensively than I think bad, good team or good stats, bad team guys like normally are. And so I think those, those are kind of points in his favor. We'll see like what the coaches say. I agree. He's not gonna be like a starter. Like he hasn't been better than like Giannis this year. Like let's not get crazy guys. But, uh, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to see if the coaches kind of reward his story. I, I think it's a, I think it's a cool one. I can't like the last, you think about like other wings who have kind of done what he's done, like grown from, um, you know, a three and D wing to kind of like, you know, a more central role offensively. Like the last guy who really like, came and pulled this off was like Jimmy Butler. And, yeah. Like, he got rewarded with a couple of all-star appearances. So, you know, it, it's possible, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, now all you guys have to do is bring in, uh, bring in Rondo and get get weighed out of retirement. And have a <laughs> have a really awful year that that results in an eighth seed. Uh, no, I yeah, I, I think the storyline plays a part too. As much as I don't love that narratives focus into things, he is a good narrative that I will always support. So I uh, I you know I'm I'm fine with being hypocritical and letting Jeremy get a, an All Star nomination because of that. Because I I mean I think all in all he should be an All Star. Um, so, you know, actually, I'll turn it over to you, too, though. Um, looking at Domas and Malcolm Brogdon, I guess we can talk about Miles, too, because there's a small push for Miles to be an all-star. I don't – I mean, just – I think there's a case for him being the most impactful player on the team in some ways. Uh, but just look – I mean, he's he's never going to be – at least this year. I mean, just the way that all-star gets voted on, he's not going to be voted on as an all-star. Um, I – all-star in my heart for sure for everything that he does on the team, but he's not, you know, just yeah. everybody's going to be obsessed with what Domas's uh, box score looks like. And I, I get that. Um, he's a really damn good player, but I, yeah, there's obviously a place to look at both, but um, how would you look at, at, at the Monta Sabonis and, and Malcolm Brogdon, I guess, you know, Miles Turner too, in terms of their impact. 
Yeah, I would I would absolutely call Domas an all-star. Mm-hmm. I'd be a little bit more hesitant with Brogdon and Turner just because like not because those guys aren't having an impact and aren't having great seasons, but like the the statistical caps on them are a little bit lower. Um and like I I thought Brogdon like could have been an all-star last year, right? He had an amazing first half of the season last year um before kind of succumbing to injuries, but um, but yeah, like Domas has absolutely been all-star caliber, you know, 20 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, like, you know, shooting, shooting more threes and shooting them more accurately than he ever has in his career. Um, I think the, like the clear delineation of roles between like him and Turner, like enables like both of them to, to do, to be better. Right. Like knowing now that like Domas is the offense guy and Turner's the defense guy, I think helps both of them a lot. Um, and sadly for Turner, right, like defense does not get you into the all-star game because yeah. he has been like a, a top five defender in the NBA this year. He's got what, like five stocks a game? Like that, yeah, that's just insane. About. Yeah. As, but like, you know, that, that, that isn't what gets you the votes. That's not what the fans want to come see. But he's, but, you know, I guess a, an all defense nomination, I, I guess that's some consolation oh, yeah. for, for the all-star ballot. But, but yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting to talk about with with you guys because are you guys does that pull you to five hundred? Does this one pull you? To yeah, they're back up at five hundred now. They okay. had uh, they were just about the worst team in the NBA over the last two weeks. Uh, they were one and six in their last seven, um, and this is obviously you know an an important win, and especially too that it was kind of emphatically. Um, I I'm hopeful it gets them back on track because the defense has just been horrendous, but that, somehow the offense has been even worse. This was probably their best defensive showing of the year um, right around there. And offensively, they started to look somewhat passable. Um, I still didn't think it was, you know, fantastic tonight. Um, you know, looking at the offense too, I mean, it, that that's kind of where it's an interesting hangout for me because you look at, um, I mean, Malcolm and Domas, it's hard to believe, but them combining for 33 shots tonight, I think is the least shots combined between them over the last week and a half. I mean, they have been absorbing everything uh, and it's not strictly on them. I mean, the uh, oh, there's just been so little, such a small amount of movement um, off the ball and everything just completely died down. Like I believe the team was uh, 27th in offense over the last week um, after being top 10 for a solid part of the year. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, and you, you look at the starting lineup, right? Like that, it makes a lot of sense, right? You, you're very clearly, clearly missing TJ Warren. Like you're yep. clearly missing like another, like 15, 18, like shots per game when, when you're starting, you know, uh, Doug McDermott, who's like a really good player. Don't get me wrong. But when, when he's starting and you're playing, uh, you're playing, uh, all the holidays, like 12 minutes a night, like it's, it's going to be tough to get shot creation that's not from Brogdon and Domas and so like I totally understand like why those guys were placing such a a heavy uh, burden on themselves but what I thought they did a better job of tonight is like especially in the especially in the third quarter and the in the second quarter just getting up and down in transition I feel like uh, the business transition defense was not amazing tonight and that enabled guys like Jeremy Lamb that enabled guys like um I enable guys like Justin Holiday to like get going and get into a rhythm a little bit. And once you get out and get those easy baskets, that enables like your half court to flow just like a tiny bit better. Yeah. And that's that's really all they needed tonight. Yeah, definitely. I have I have two thoughts off that. Number one, yeah. Um, 
the uh, the one play that I'm thinking of right off the bat was actually not in the Pacers' favor, but Isaiah Stewart running the floor, like totally blowing past Domas and getting down for an easy uh, easy dunk. I, I like I you know I already said it. I love Isaiah Stewart. He's so good. He was one of the guys. I'm not a huge draft guy. I uh, I try and keep up with some stuff, but I just I'm I'm too busy to be invested enough in tape. But you know, in talking to the people who I I know and respect, who are really good with that stuff, Isaiah Stewart getting drafted where he got drafted was like mind blowing to a lot of people, and he's completely silenced that for me. Um, he's looked really damn good. And seeing, you know, the way that he plays and, and hearing some of the stories that are coming out about the kind of dude he is, uh, it's been really cool to see him him play the way he has. Um, but then the second story, uh, did you by chance, uh, I mean, it, it popped off for me. Did you see Jeremy Lamb try and play defense that one possession um, and totally jump a screen that wasn't there? And uh, that's that's the Jeremy Lamb experience on defense, man. Um, yeah, Josh I, Jackson made a fool out of Jeremy Lamb with oh, a couple man. closeouts. Yeah, Jeremy Lamb is probably the worst closeout defender in the NBA, um, or at least starting level player, like rotation level guy. It is. I love Jeremy Lamb. Really funny dude. Seems like a pretty good guy, um, and he's he, he's a good a good scorer. Um, but man, some of the closeouts he takes are just. I have no idea. Uh, what to even think about? It. I know Nate Bjorkman's probably just losing it a little bit on the sideline, but yeah, he put uh, Jackson had like a really nice dunk in the second quarter, almost put Brogdon on a poster, and it was because Jeremy Lamb's closing out to his left hand. And it's like, what have you read the scouting report? Do you know that Josh Jackson like never uses his left hand? And so, like, yeah, I totally get that, but he gave it back on the other end, yeah. right? He scored 17 points on seven shots, like that, that seems pretty good. And, you know, when when the Pistons are in a situation where, like, Josh Jackson is dueling Jeremy Lamb, like, that's a bad situation for <laughs> yes. the Pistons to be in, right? And so you kind of – that helps you kind of understand a little bit, like, how this game, like, went for Detroit. But I wanted, I wanted to ask you about TJ McConnell mm-hmm. because, like, our – the Pistons broadcast – Oh, they love like, Oh, man, we love TJ because he's just, like – because you know, I don't know if you saw our backup point guard situation, but like we we could we could it really use a teach. Yeah, it's it's pretty tough. But you know, just you know, filling up the stat sheet, playing thirty minutes. Like I was surprised. Have they been like stretching out his minutes a little bit longer? Because it seemed like he was seemed like he was a really important part of their run in the third quarter. Yeah, so he's been playing a lot since the Victor Oladipo trade. He was already playing, you know, around 20 minutes per game before then. But uh, since the Oladipo trade, he is playing, I'm pulling up right now, uh, 25 minutes per game. And he's played over 30 multiple times. Um, it's a, it's it's kind of uh, an interesting conundrum for me because I really like him. And he's a very good player. Um but the minutes distribution has been weird. Like you look at tonight, I mean, Miles Turner played barely, didn't even play 24 minutes. And he was a little bit in foul trouble, but Domas was in foul trouble uh, yeah. even worse. And he ends up playing 38 minutes. And that's been kind of the story this year. The The minutes distribution has been weird. Um, and sometimes it leans way far, not sometimes, almost all the time it leans way too far into Brogdon and domas and again like we mentioned it's a 25 point win and they're both playing 36 plus minutes and it's a little head scratching um but with tj i mean like you were mentioning with with malcolm uh being so important for for on ball creation i mean they've really leaned into that with tj mcconnell because 
he's running so much for the second unit. And even then, I mean, he'll come in and play with the first unit too. Um, his ball handling has been huge. Uh, and there are times where it can get really clunky, um, especially if he's, you know, there have been times where like, like he can work with Malcolm Brogdon, but if he doesn't have the ball and Brogdon's running stuff, it's uh, it's confusing why they're out there together yeah. uh, because that's, it's, it just doesn't work very well. But um Ultimately, I mean, TJ McConnell has been insanely good because there was actually a time before the the season started where um, his uh, his deal wasn't uh, fully guaranteed, but then the Pacers ended up guaranteeing it um, by keeping him on the roster. Well, not not, not cutting him, obviously. Um, and there was like a legitimate discussion about would the Pacers actually guarantee TJ McConnell to stay under the salary cap? Because right now they're not under the salary cap they're gonna have they have to make a move still if they want to be under the salary cap under the tax or under the cap i mean yeah under under the tax i'm okay okay. um and so it's just kind of funny how that's worked out because now he's been one of the most important players on the team and he's been he's been tremendous and he's shooting threes now which i uh like that was that was always the gate for him right like he had a nice corner three tonight uh off of uh like it was like a secondary action type of thing and it's like it's like it was good to see him take that shot because like that was always kind of the limiting factor for him. It reminded me a bunch of like Ish Smith, how like Ish yes. Smith wouldn't shoot threes. Uh, I love and, like, Ish that, Smith. That, that used to he has to clog up the offense a bunch. But like yeah, it just you the the secondary shot creation, the the like advantage creation he can he can generate seem to be really big for you guys. And when when you contrasted like what T.J. McConnell was just like bringing in terms of like energy and movement and shot creation from like what the Pistons were getting from Dennis Smith. It was like really apparent who, who was winning that matchup. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Dennis Smith just because like it's, it's his first game, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically like got off the plane from Florida, got handed like an iPad with the film and it's like, go to work. Um, you know, he didn't have a terrible night statistically. It's two of five uh, missed his only three, you know, no assist one, uh, one turnover. But like he looked very like tentative out there, and, and I wanted to I wanted to see like where you know get an outside perspective of, like where you are with Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I uh, I remember he was one of the guys I was super high on, you know, in his draft class. Uh, obviously, he wasn't amazing with Dallas. I, I think you saw about a bunch of flashes. Like you can look at as I've grown to understand basketball better i mean i remember he's, he put up 15 and 5 as rookie i'm like oh that's pretty good but then you realize oh it's on like brandon knight levels of efficiency so not that yeah. good um <laughs> brandon r.i.p brandon knight's knees man i loved brandon knight he was one of my favorite players when i was first coming up with basketball um but yeah i i was really hopeful for him in the porzingis trade i know i'm going back farther but i was i was really hopeful for him in the porzingis trade that he'd go to the knicks and um hopefully just have an opportunity to do stuff like actually be a young player, not have a ton of expectations and just kind of get to play basketball. Mm -hmm. And he did for the end of that season with the Knicks um, when he first got traded. And then, I mean, this last year, it was just, it's, I mean, he was like, you're talking about completely tentative. Um, I don't know if there were like, I I think he had some injuries and stuff that he dealt with too, a little bit. Um, But overall, I mean, he just doesn't look confident anymore. Uh, which sucks to see. I'm really hopeful that that maybe he can um, find more comfort comfortability in, in some sort of backup role um, because it seems pretty out of the cards right now that he's ever going to be um, – not to totally derail somebody's 
uh, potential. I mean, he's the same age as me. He's 23. So he's, he's still pretty young. He has a lot to, to look forward to in the league, but um, I mean, it's uh, it's very difficult to see him carving out a path right now for me. And especially yeah. too, I mean, I, I don't know how soon Killian is being back. I know it's probably a little ways out still. Um, but even then, I mean, DeLon Wright's been playing pretty well ish. He, he did not play that well tonight. Um, but I, I just don't really see where he fits in moving forward. And, um, I think it was fine for Detroit considering, I mean, it really was about getting the second round pick, um, and just making Derek Rose happy, but yeah, um, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I liked, I liked the way he got, I liked the way Dennis Smith Jr. got downhill a little bit tonight. I'm hoping he can do like more of that. Um, but I didn't love the way he didn't finish around the rim. And that's always been like the biggest thing is like, yeah. even, even if the shot, because like people have pointed to the shot and he's redone the shot a trillion times every summer, you know, there's a big story about how he's working with a different shooting coach to, to fix the shot. And like, honestly, like as we've seen from like the ish Smith, like TJ McConnell dudes, like if you're, if you're little and athletic and fast and can get to the rim, like and just do that, like you can stay in the NBA, like off of that, but you need to be able to finish those shots around the rim. And he hasn't been able to do that yet. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll be able to, to do a little bit of that but like yeah you, you bring up a good point right like Killian is like Killian is going to be here for the long haul right like Dennis Smith Jr. doesn't necessarily like have to be and so I'm I'm hopeful I'm hopeful for him that he can like make something of this like what well, I think Killian's so Killian's going to be reevaluated five weeks from now um and then August okay, so has a much bigger run than I thought yeah, yeah. And then like and that's reevaluated, right? That's not like yeah. he'll be back on the court in five weeks. So tack another like two, three weeks onto that. And so like yeah, DSJ is like eight weeks to to prove himself, which is like, you know, that I mean like that at least that's like a nice little timeline. But like when but like when Killian gets back, like I'd actually I don't I don't know if they'll start him or not, but uh yeah, when Killian gets back, it'll be him and Delon Wright. Like and and if Dennis Smith Jr. hasn't proven it yet, like he he won't be playing. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think, I mean, I like it for him just on a personal level because, um, I mean, I thought it was really big of him to 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 ask to go to the G League, um, to go play with Westchester. I thought, that, I mean, that's a that's not an easy thing for somebody to, to come up with that shows a lot of maturity. Um, so I think it's really cool that he's going to get this opportunity with the Pistons. It's probably not great for the Pistons because he's, you know, he has a lot to work on as a player, but um, – I'm definitely excited I mean, to watch and see. It's, what it's not like we're trying to win games. Well, yeah, that's right? a good point. Like, I mean, we, I think that's what's been so great about Troy Weaver, man. Like this is a uh, this is one of the ultimate tanking. Uh, it's tanking without tanking, and I think they're they're doing it the perfect way. Like there's just enough veterans on the roster that you actually have guys who are who are mentors and can like make sense for people. Like I never, I mean, we talked about this before, but. I never understood people clowning the Plumley deal. Like I thought it was fine. And then everybody's like, Oh, what the cast race. And I'm like, what in the name of God are the Pistons putting any money into over the next two or three years? Will they draft new guys? Like Giannis is not coming to Detroit. They don't want Giannis to come to Detroit right now. The team is not even in a place. Well, wait, wait, hold, hold, I mean, like okay, Giannis they is don't, willing to come would, here. Like, yeah. If, yeah, if, if he was willing him. to. Yeah. But I mean, like the, you get what I'm saying? Like they're, yeah, no, they're not, they're not about to sign some kind of Chandler Parsons deal. So like, no, it, I think that got so overblown. Like it's important to have veteran guys there. Like um, I know Blake has gotten a lot of flack um, 
obviously he's struggled uh, a lot this year and all of that. I mean, injuries getting older, that shit happens. Um, but having somebody like Blake on the roster is, is important. Like, again, you can say whatever you want about the money, but like, um, I mean, I think we saw that a lot with the process Sixers. Like they did not have a lot of veteran guys. Like I think Carl Landry and uh, Amir Johnson were like the only veteran guys on the process Sixers. Like, like Elton Brand. Like, yeah. yeah. And Elton Brand too. Um, and that was even, I mean, that was late too. Um, yeah. So it's like having, having veteran guys is important. You can't always just have rookies starting right away. Like, um, that's, that's something I want to ask you too. How did you feel about Killian starting right away? I was cool with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the time it was definitely like, they want to keep Derek Rose's minutes low at the yeah. same time as well. And I didn't, I honestly like, didn't really know what to expect out of Delon Wright. And so it's like, Hey, like, yes. Um, and with the understanding that he's probably not going to close most nights, yeah. like, sure, you know, play him, um, you know, next to a guy in Mason Plumley that was like explicitly brought in to like help him like become a better pick and roll playmaker, like play him next to Blake, just to like see what that's going to be over the next couple of years um, and, and see where it goes. And he was pretty bad as, you know, rookie point guards kind of are. Um, you could definitely see him figuring some things out, but not quite like everything. Um, and then obviously the injury has been a big blow. Um, he got, he's only, he only played seven games. Right. And we're almost we're almost like 30 games into the season, right? And so I feel like we've been robbed. Like the Pistons have been collectively robbed of like this, like of 20 games of Killian's development. You see other, you know, prospects that were taken in the draft, like having success with their teams after rough starts. And you kind of figure that Killian would have would have figured it out, but we can't say for certain, right? Because mm-hmm. we haven't seen him play, and he was struggling, you know, pretty. Po- he was struggling mightily, like even by like rookie standards. And so it was, it was, uh, it was a really rough ride. And I think when he comes back, he'll probably come off the bench, and that will kind of ease the the transition for him a little bit better. But yeah, yeah. I was I was fine with starting him like initially. Yeah, no, I would agree with that too. Like, I think that's a good point. Like, it's good to build confidence and, and play with the guys in the starting lineup. But also, like, like you're mentioning, I mean, just because you're in the starting lineup does not mean you're closing games. I mean, Joel Anthony used to start for the Heatles, so that doesn't. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a nominative thing. Very different teams. Yes. Yeah. yeah no. Totally. That's a good, <laughs> yeah. But just uh, just just for perspective. Um. So how how often has Seku played the five? Um, cause not that actually, I kind of liked that tonight. Like, um, he would, I mean, he ended up a minus seven, which again, single game plus minus is noisy, but that's, you know, one of the better numbers on the, on the Pistons actually. Um, I, I thought those minutes, uh, some of the, some of the minutes when he was playing the five and, and Jeremy was playing the four still, uh, with the bench unit was, uh, they, they closed the gap during that one stretch in the second quarter with that group. And I, I, I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, it was, it was a definitely like nice change of pace. Um, and it's like born out of necessity, right? Yeah. Like Mason Plumley was like a late late scratch in the game with uh, elbow burstitis. We'll see. We'll like monitor that. See how long it takes him to recover from that. Angelil Okafor had uh, knee surgery earlier this oh, week. Oh damn! Yeah, and so he's out for six to eight weeks. Um, and so like they like literally don't have any other centers on the roster besides Isaiah Stewart. And so you playing Seku, Seku at uh, at center, I think, was clarifying for him in that it like cut down on a lot of the decisions he was expected to make, especially mm-hmm. on offense. Like you saw him 
Uh, I'm thinking of like the one play where he attacked uh, Sabonis on the closeout and finished. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like you, you. That's the type. That's the type of thing you want him to do like all the time from the wing position. But often uh, there will be a big man like at the paint, and that makes like finishing tougher, and it makes him like consider, you know, not uh, not making that move, not attacking with that advantage. But like if the big man like is closing you out. And like, and there is no other big on the floor. Like, it's easier to make those type of moves. And so, like, yeah, I, I liked what I saw in those minutes. I'm I'm hopeful that that's not his like long term position. Yeah. No, definitely like, not yeah. long term for center. Just because, like, you know, with with Isaiah Stewart and like with uh, Mason Plumlee, like, it's it's gonna be rough for Seku if he's a if he's a center all of a sudden. But I, I do like that he played with uh, aggressiveness and decisiveness on offense was something that we haven't always seen from him. Right. Like, and it's, it's much better than like what we're seeing earlier. Uh, like, you know, a couple games ago, they played the Lakers. Seku started because they rested Blake and Seku comes out and he's guarding Anthony Davis, like the first couple possessions and AD's just like lighting him up. Yeah. And you're like, Oh God, like this, this can't be good for like our 20 year old second year players confidence. And we can't send him to the G league. Cause we're not sending a G league team to the G league bubble. So it's like, what are we going to do with this guy? So having nights like this where he plays, you know, 16 minutes, plays well, um, you know, competes with Sabonis, an all-star like level player on the glass in a way that I liked seeing, um, has a couple like transition runouts, makes some good decisions, like gets some rebounds like that. That stuff is encouraging. And that's the, that's the kind of thing you like hope he builds on. But uh, and I think the the positional thing of him playing center like definitely contributed to that. Um, but we'll, but he's gonna have to do that like from the wing, if uh, if he wants to like you know continue this this uh, this good stretch of play. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, I thought you know also too. I mean, speaking on wings, like I really like Josh Jackson tonight. I I I figured going into the game, either him or Jeremy Grant was gonna give the Pacers problems. I expected it to be Jeremy Grant, but. Um, I mean, yeah, Josh finished with 18 points, which was rough night. Yeah, high for the Pistons. Um, he, I mean, he's really starting to figure things out as a driver. He's still not finishing awesome on the inside, and he's taking a lot of long twos and stuff that aren't aren't sexy um, and are driving down his true shooting. But um, I feel like this is probably the best he's played in, in quite some time. Um, you know, he's had a good, really good stretch over, like, the last two weeks. His three ball has been falling well. Um I didn't watch him enough defensively tonight to have a more uh, like uh, to have a measured gauge on, on how I feel about his defense. Um, from from what I've seen this year, he seemed fine. You know, his off ball could obviously be better, like most young players. But yeah, um, I really am starting to like what he's figuring out with the drive game. No, absolutely. Uh, at this point, you know, with all the instability at backup point guard that we've like alluded to earlier in this podcast, like he's basically the offensive initiator mm-hmm. for the second unit. And as long as you keep things simple for him and just like put him in advantage situations, just bring him off of handoffs and have him attack the rim. Like he, he's been great in that role. Um, you know, with when like Derek Rose was there, um, he was like a little bit of a more of like secondary ball handler, spot up shooter guy. And he was also kind of able to do that. Um, he had an ankle injury earlier in the year and that kind of messed up his, uh, his rhythm and flow. You saw him come back from the ankle injury and be uh, noticeably like less explosive, but he's yeah. managed to get that back as we talked about with the dunk. So that that's nice to see. And it's like, yeah, it's just like, you know, we talked 
talked about the second draft and, uh, you know, finding these young guys that can help your team. And Josh has been like definitely uh, a key piece of what the Pistons are trying to do on both ends. And so I, I absolutely think like they'll like they're, they're looking into like him being a part of this team moving forward. Right. Like, Tonight he like scored he scored eighteen, which is like more than he usually scores. Mm-hmm. But like the stuff he was doing, where he was like attacking the rim and uh, competing on defense, maybe not you know being like an all NBA defender or anything like that, but competing on that end, using his length and athleticism to affect plays, cause some havoc and, and passing lanes and stuff. Uh, he had a steal um, and like the tiny bit of playmaking. We saw him like you know get some nice if he's attacking the rim, get some dump offs to beef stew down low, like. He, he can definitely like make some stuff happen. And uh, for a guy you just uh, picked up to have a homecoming in Detroit for the room exception, like you absolutely take like he, the stuff he does uh, like for the team. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed seeing him play this year and it's good to actually see him doing well. Um, also too, I mean, Wayne Ellington was fun. I tweeted about this. Wayne Ellington and and Doug McDermott had a really fun matchup tonight. I enjoyed watching them defend each other, and um, yeah, both of neither of them played well. <laughs> yeah, neither of them could shoot for uh, for shit tonight. But um, I, I think that that's been one of the crazy things. Wayne Ellington has been like not out of the league, but he's been really just on the fringes uh, like the last year and a half, and now he's like the hottest shooter in the NBA over the last fifteen games. Um, and looks like somebody who's probably going to be being a, a, a trade deadline target. Um, what have you thought he, of him so far this year? I was like, yeah, you hear that, Milwaukee Bucks? Like, Wayne Ellington <laughs> yeah. could be yours for the low, low price of a second-round pick in the future. Yeah, But, yeah, no, he's been uh, – there was like a two-week stretch where he was like literally the only thing keeping the offense afloat. And so that, that was interesting because you knew he wouldn't shoot 60% from three forever, mm-hmm. but it was still kind of cool to just like watch him come off handoffs and shoot 60% from three. Um, but yeah, we like, we, we talked about like with if Jeremy Grant struggles and like Wayne Ellington shoots one for six, like the, the offense doesn't look very good. And so I, I'm a little concerned like long-term about like how the, the lack of spacing and in, in starting lineup is a, is a problem. But yeah, like Wayne Ellington's been pretty good for the uh, for the Pistons this year. And, you know, when tonight he didn't get to show it as much, but, you know, when teams were really panicking about him, um, you know, coming off of uh, pin downs and stuff and, and making shots, he was able to use that to his advantage to kind of like even drive the ball a little bit and, and finish around the rim. And uh, even he was, you know, forming a nice chemistry with Mason Plumley. Obviously, he didn't get to see that tonight as well, but uh, he was able to you know, get Mason some open bunnies just because like guys are so scared of, of uh, what he was doing uh, from the three point line is like a very, very, very like low rent uh, Bam and Duncan Robinson situation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, Well, Hey, I mean, considering, I mean, uh, I mean, the Pistons totally blew out Miami a couple games ago. So, Hey, that that did happen. uh, Maybe Bam and Duncan Robinson are low rent. uh, Mason Plumlee and Wayne Ellington. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of funny how it's come full circle because (laughs) Wayne Ellington obviously traded from Miami. I think it was the, it was during their, um, their massive flip year when they went 11 and 30 to start the year and they went 30 and 11 down the stretch and Wayne Ellington, got traded from that team to the Pistons uh, in the first round. Because uh, that was a team that, that went in the first round and lost to, uh, to no, Milwaukee, so, wasn't it? Or was it? Yeah, that, so he was a he was a free agent pickup because he was a buyout. 
Miami oh. bought him out. Oh, and, crap. Uh, I mean, I yeah. can't even think. No, 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 you're good because Miami bought him out and the Pistons brought him in. And at the time, it was like, we're bringing in Wayne Ellington to make the playoff push. And everybody was like, are you serious? Like, how is like Wayne Ellington going to help you make the playoffs? And then he did. And we we're like, ah, okay, that's pretty cool, actually. Uh, they, uh, so now Wayne Ellington is forever a uh, what they call significant recruiting victory, which is what Arn Gellum <laughs> called him in his opening like press conference, like yeah. welcoming Wayne to the team. And it's like, all right, Wayne's a significant recruiting victory. But uh, but yeah, he so he was a buyout guy, and then they made the playoffs, and then he was a free agent again, and then he signed in New York, and then he was just kind of lost in the wilderness in New York, as uh, as bench dudes in New York kind of tend to be, and now he's back. Um, he was he was the last acquisition of Troy Weaver's offseason. You could tell the the, the coaching staff kind of looked at the roster and was like, we need like one more shooter. I was like, what's Wayne up to? Let's call Wayne, see what he's doing. And so, uh, yeah, he's in again. Hopefully, he's playing like just well enough to to keep the offense afloat during these hard times, and you know, be worth something to uh, to a contender at the trade deadline. And it's like if he, and if if he's done that, like he's done his job, and like you know, Pistons fans will have actually like not not uh, not totally bad memories of Wayne Ellington. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, so one more thing I want to transition to in talking about the Pacers. Um, I have to talk about it, otherwise my listeners are going to be pissed at me. And also, I'm going to be pissed at me. Um, Go Bertaze played one minute and 39 seconds of garbage time tonight, uh, which makes absolutely no sense. Uh, it was very vexing to me to see Domas play 38 minutes, Miles play 23, and Goga play almost none, or more yeah, importantly, yeah. no meaningful minutes, especially, too. He's played uh, consistently over the last three or four games and played really well. Um I was pretty confused as to why he didn't get in in the third or fourth quarter. Um, so that's one of the things that's a little confusing to me because you look at this Pistons team and I think they balance their minutes a lot better. Again, it's different because they're not in the same place, but like getting Svi like nine minutes. Um, like I, I know there, there's uh, he, he plays more depending on matchups and, and on the teams. Um, and I like that. I think you look at teams like you have 13 guys, find ways to get all of them out there in different scenarios. Um, but and that's like, something that's really been a struggle for the Pacers this year. Yeah. And you think about like tonight, right? Like tonight would have been a good situation for Batadze because the Pistons literally didn't have a backup center. Right. Like, uh, and so I, like, I hadn't noticed that just because I didn't like, uh, I hadn't really known what uh, Goga's role in the rotation kind of was. And I, like you, as, as you talk about it, I can see it's kind of fluid, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, you think about that balance, right? Like, Sabonis is playing almost 40 minutes. Turner isn't playing 25 minutes. And you have this uh, this third string center who you used a pretty high draft pick on who's been playing well that's only playing two minutes. Like, yeah, something about that balance like doesn't quite seem right. And so I guess I should ask you then, like, what what is the right balance? Like, how many minutes should they be finding Goga a night? Should it be like 10? Should it be like 15? where is that balance yeah i mean that's a good question um so i mean you look just over i mean he didn't play from the first to the 12th game he didn't play at all and then he plays 15 minutes in the blowout loss to the clippers and then he plays uh 20 seconds over the next three games um and then he he's had a consistent five minutes plus role since then so that's been about 10 games within the last four He's played 12 minutes or more. 
Um, he's putting up, I mean, he's really becoming a rim protector. He's averaged two blocks for that time. Again, he's fouling a lot, but I mean, he's 21 years old, so he, he's, it takes time to develop, but um, he's done nice things in pick and roll. He was developing some chemistry with Aaron holiday that we didn't get to see happen tonight. Um, no, I think like, I remember I did this, uh, I, I got really annoying and I, I hate doing Excel sheets, but I did an Excel sheet because I was like, how the hell are these minutes supposed to work? Because I remember, uh, I don't remember if I talked to you about this, but um, like during one of the press conferences, when Nate Bjorkman was first introduced and they were talking about, you know, what they want to do, they're like, well, we want to play, Goga needs to play more. Goga averaged like eight, seven or eight minutes per game last year. I'm like, okay, so you're playing Goga 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Um, and then they were like, well, you know, we want to play Miles and, and Domas together, but we also want to stagger them. And I was like, okay, so, so we're going to be staggering them and we're going to be playing Goga. We're going to be playing Goga more than last year. And then they were like, well, we also want to play TJ at the four more. I'm like, okay, so what, what, how, like, what is, what is <laughs> yeah. happening here? Um, and unfortunately, obviously TJ has been out. Um, so there's been more opportunity for Goga to play and he's played uh, he and miles. I actually don't think have shared the court. Uh, I think only once they've shared the court, but uh, th- him and Domas have a couple times. Um, but, but yeah, point being, I think 10 minutes per game is like a regular thing that could happen for him. And he could play five minutes with, with Domas and five minutes as a solo center, or maybe less, you know, it just kind of depends. Um, and, you know, obviously give him some opportunities with miles too, but miles is really good as a solo center this year. He's uh like lineups with him as, as, as the lone center have like a 99 defensive rating, which is obviously insanely That's good. Real good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, pretty damn good like uh and the offense has been good too um granted it's only like two or three hundred possessions but that's enough where you're like okay that's that's something um but most of goga's minutes have been coming at the expense of miles so instead of miles playing 30 minutes he's been playing you know 26 Mm, or 27 gotcha yeah so that's been a little bit disappointing because i think you look at domas and like it's it's been really frustrating with the minutes because both him and malcolm like Nate Bjorken has talked about it. He's been asked about, you know, the minutes they've been playing because um, they're both in the top 10 in the league in minutes right now. Yeah. They're at, yeah. Domas is averaging 36 minutes. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. In 2020. Yeah, that is, it. that's a lot. It's a, in this economy. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it, it would be one thing if they were playing that much and they weren't gassing out, but they very clearly gas out. Um, mm-hmm. Like you can see that even tonight. I mean, I felt like Malcolm played awesome in the third quarter, but I didn't think he played that well in the fourth quarter. Um, luckily, Domas did not look gassed at all tonight, but even defensively, I mean, the rotations aren't the same. Um, I think you see it a lot or like I, I could, it, it'd be easier. I could like pull clips and stuff and send them to you, but like just to like Malcolm's shot falls flat. He shoots below 40% from the field in the fourth quarter. Um like they just fall off a cliff and the, the Pacers have one of the worst fourth quarter net ratings in the league last time that I checked. And it's after having one of the better third quarter net ratings, they just have a massive net rating swing because they play Domas and Malcolm like the entire third quarter and juice those stats. And then um, when they come back in the fourth, they're completely gassed. Um, like there was a game against the Pelicans. I'll look at my calendar. Was, somehow it was only a week ago. Feels like three. Um but the the bench came in and they totally brought them back into the game after being down like 20 and the starters came back in and they just completely blew the lead. Um, or no, the starters not coming back in. I'm thinking of the wrong game, but point being 
they uh they cannot maintain the amount of minutes they're playing. So there's there's room for Goga to play. I actually think you could warrant playing Miles maybe even a little bit more, but you could cut like six or seven minutes off Delmas easily. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, yeah, I so okay that all that makes sense. Um, I did want to ask about one more dude that I'm surprised isn't getting more minutes. Mm-hmm. My guy Ed Sumner. Ah, yes. What, you, me. what does Ed Sumner have to do to get some minutes around here, man? I think uh, so there has to be a major injury. I, I like another I, one. Yeah, I, I mean, like I, I seriously have no idea um, why he's getting minutes. I mean, why he isn't getting minutes? Um, like, I mean, tonight you look at a team like the Pistons have. Like, all right, so you have Josh Jackson, Delon Wright, Wayne Ellington. Um, even Jeremy Grant, he could have spent a few minutes on Sadiq Bay, uh, Dennis Smith. Like these are all guys who Ed would probably have been one of the better options to throw on them just with his energy and his defense and Grant Justin Holiday was awesome on Jeremy Grant tonight. Um, but Evan Sumner's long, he's athletic. He gives them an opportunity to do stuff in transition. He's one of the better cutters on the team. Um, going back and watching the minutes that he does play when he gets opportunities, I have no idea why he isn't playing more. I, I you know, he's not a spacer uh, by any means, but neither is TJ McConnell. You know, he's not the same ball handler, but I think he's gotten opportunities in pick and roll when he did play and, and they weren't bad. Um, he's been finishing at the rim really well when he is playing. Um, I have no idea why he's not playing last, to be completely honest. Um, and it's a little heartbreaking to me because I think there's really something there and you see it every time he plays, he does positive things like, the game that really sticks out. I mean, against uh, Golden State, they won that game largely because they played box and one on Steph Curry almost the entire game. And Ed was was the one just chasing Steph Curry all over the court. And he was fantastic in that game. And I think he just, like I'm mentioning, it's not even that he has to, he doesn't have to start. He doesn't have to play 20 minutes. But like, I just don't understand how you can't find 10 minutes for somebody who is clearly a useful NBA player. Um, like it doesn't have to be every night, but there are definitely opportunities where I think he should be getting run and he's just not. Yeah. So, so I want you to hear this Pistons fans, like the Pistons are not the only team, like having trouble finding space to like play their young guys. Like, yeah, the Pacers are like in a different situation than the Pistons, but like juggling all these rotations and, you know, trying to make these priorities, uh, you know, trying to balance the the objectives of the coaching staff and the front office and the and what individual players want like all this stuff is really tough and so like when when uh you look at tonight like svi only plays nine minutes right like that's probably too few i wish that sumner would play nine minutes man no. like gosh yeah but like sadiq bay plays 18 minutes and it's like okay well if you if you you could put those guys on the floor together but then you're pulling josh jackson's minutes down and and then um you look at uh like seku wasn't playing like a couple weeks ago and people were like totally up in arms about that but that was at the same time when like jeremy grant was playing like 38 minutes a night and scoring like you know 30 points like every other game it felt like it's like well do you like do you really want to like pull all these rotation threads like while you have something that's like going well for you and it's tough like i i honestly like i have a lot of sympathy for coaches like in that regard since that is one of like the major things they are in control over um from a from like a tactical perspective but like it's it's tough you have a lot of competing priorities i i get it i'm just i'm sad my guy ed sumner can't get any more minutes though i gotta say trust me you were you're not the only person okay Uh, it's just uh yeah it's it's just just confusing like i agree um to an extent i think it's like 
it was difficult to figure out rotations. I'm not as smart as Nate York and not as smart as any NBA head coach in terms of looking at, at basketball. But um, I just think we've seen enough to know, you know, teams that are able to get the most out of their guys instead of playing an eight or nine man rotation, like it matters to get the most out of that extra, um, you know, the, the 10th or 11th man that night, like that can swing a game or just finding ways to get different looks. Um, that's like the only real gripe I've had with the Pacers this year other than the last six games um, is uh, <laughs> is looking at, you know, how they kind of employ some of their uh, some of their end of bench guys and, and figuring out the minutes a little bit more. But um, I'm hopeful. I don't know. We're, uh, we're we're a third of the way through the season, though. So I think it's uh, it's getting to the point where uh, if if Ed was going to be getting consistent minutes, I think it'd be happening already. Yeah, I get you. That make that makes sense. Yeah. Do you have uh, do you have anything else you want to hit on? Uh I wanted to ask you. Last thing I wanted to ask you was was Brooklyn. We both played Brooklyn in the span I, I of don't. Like twenty four hours. <laughs> we beat them. They killed you guys. Like, what what did you think of the Brooklyn Nets? Oh man, yeah. So I've watched a lot of Brooklyn since the since the Harden trade. Their offense is just insane, man. Yeah. I have uh, I have no idea how anyone is going to stop them. Like, it's not even like you can make all you want about. Kyrie and Katie and James like they're fantastic I think they're probably the best offensive trio of all time got to be right about there I mean you could mention too I mean Clay Steph and uh and KD all just played together a couple of years ago but it's different I mean because any any of those three guys can go and score on their own um but then they're all some of the best shooters in in the league um but more importantly freaking Joe Harris man Joe Harris is who breaks the game for me um, and you saw it a little bit with the Pacers yesterday. Like they were trying, like part of it was they just weren't playing smart defense. Like they were, they have a major problem with overhelping. Um, but it's like if you help off of Joe Harris, you kind of have to because you don't want to leave. Uh, I mean, Malcolm Brogdon was playing on, on James Harden, but then you also had um, TJ McConnell was guarding James Harden. It's like, okay, well, we have to help. We have we to, have help, to yeah. help TJ McConnell, right? Um, but then you're helping off Joe Harris and Joe Harris shoots like 52% on catch and shoot three. So it's like, I just don't know how you guard that. Um, and I think ultimately too, like you look at, I mean, if, if they're running Jeff green at the five, that, that gives them a lot of opportunities in pick and roll. Like he's so good as a pick and pop threat. Um, and as a role man, also shout out Jeff green for having like just one of the weirdest careers ever, but still being a useful player. <laughs> um, Actually, fun fun fact. Uh, I wrote a story because I've always loved Jeff Green. He's like the guy for me growing up. I was like, oh yeah, he's really good. But then I, I was always the person. I was like, oh, Jeff Green's better than you think. And no. Um, have you ever talked to uh, Nick Henkel about Jeff Green? I have. Actually, I've actually never talked to Nick before. I've, oh, I've, you you and Nick should talk about. Jeff I, I've Green. definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll have to talk to Nick sometime. Especially, yeah, yeah. he's probably too. Uh, he's probably too high up now for you, man. After oh, after yeah, yeah, you catching him on a good week. Oh, dude, of course. I have I have enough. Uh, <laughs> I have enough Pistons mutuals to know he was a champion of Pistons Twitter on ESPN last night. So it was pretty pretty rad. That was pretty cool. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, I, no. Steve, I think their their defense will be it, it's just like the Cavs um, when LeBron was in, in Cleveland the second time around. Like I think mm-hmm. they'll figure things out to have their defense be at least like replacement level. But the offense is going to be so good. I, I just don't know how you defend it. Yeah, I mean when so the Pistons managed to beat the Nets obviously, and 
they were essentially like gifted like 60 points yeah and uh, the nets like tried to make a second half comeback and didn't i think i think uh i actually think they could have they probably could have won the game they were pretty tight with like three minutes to go um or they were they were like in like the 12 to like 13 ish range with like three minutes to go to the point where like a hardened flurry could have won them the game right but uh, obviously like that was the first game of the back-to-back so they steve nash kind of pulled the pulled the white flag but uh but yeah, their their defense just like was was so disorganized. Uh, DeAndre Jordan was uh, just such a problem for them on that end. But and, uh, but like none of it matters if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and and James Harden just shot create their way into like a one twenty offensive rating, which is what which is what those three guys have since the Harden trade, which is crazy to me. Yeah, Steve Jones of the uh, the dunker spot. Like has pointed this out uh, a bunch. Uh, well, Steve Jones also like a former uh, assistant coach. Yeah, he's awesome. I've talked to him a few times. And he, he yeah, me I should smart. probably yeah, mention great. that since that's a, a bigger deal. But uh, but he's pointed that out, right? The the thing you were saying about Joe Harris is like, okay, you have James Harden and DeAndre Jordan running a pick and roll. It's like if you want to help from the weak side, you are helping off of Joe Harris and Kyrie Irving, and like exactly. that is the thing that that breaks like defenses, right? You you can't you can't help off of joe harris you can't help off of Kyrie, but you can't just let james harden walk unimpeded into layups or lobs to deandre um and and so that's crazy it's just crazy but at the same time you can't let like deandre can't let uh jeremy grant like sleepwalk into a bunch of back cuts right (laughs) definitely not you, you can't have you can't have uh joe harris guarding blake griffin because like even even this version of blake griffin uh, because like Blake is still like bigger and stronger than Joe Harris and can get around him um, because like Joe, like Joe Harris can't be the guy you place on uh, the, the other team's like best perimeter player. Right. Uh, and if Jeff Green's playing center, right. Like you need to be able to grab some rebounds. Every, yeah. Every now and <laughs> yeah again. That would help. It does, yeah. It does not hurt. That's been yeah, one, of the, one of the one thing about Jeff. I'm like, dude, I'd never have understood how he doesn't get rebounds, but yeah. Um, so like, yeah, Brooklyn's just like a, they're so obviously flawed, but they're also so obviously talented. It's just, uh, it's just a very weird team for me to watch, but fun, obviously, but but very weird. Yeah, to me, they're like, did you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah, they're like Cersei Lannister for me. Like, I enjoy watching her, um, but like, very clearly not a good character. Not to say that Brooklyn's <laughs> bad in any regards. Their defense is bad, but like. I know I'm going to enjoy watching it. I know that there's going to be flames mostly on the defense end, but like the offense can be so overpowering and overwhelming. It's fantastic. Um, but I think that you brought up a really good point too, because like we were already mentioning it, like, but I think that's what really separates the good teams from the great teams, especially in terms of roster building. Like you look at um, like, you know, a lot of a lot gets made about how KD went to, to golden state, but even like looking before then what I always thought made, golden state a great team were were the veteran dudes that they had like the some of the buyout guys like i mean leandro barbosa like not a a, not by any stretch a great player but like you can't help off of steph on on, i mean even if you do help off of steph i mean help on to steph um and leave somebody like leandro barbosa open like great shooter like that kind of stuff makes a huge difference like um looking at the Cavs, like the first year like you're helping off of Sean Marion an age 38 season to, to go defend LeBron. And uh, what I still think is one of the best uh, playoff performances of all time. I am still pissed that I'm not even, I'm not a Cavs fan by any stretch, but like seeing Andre Iguodala win finals MVP after LeBron averaged like 40, 12 and 12 was like 
that was stupid. I don't yeah. care that the Cavs lost. Like Matthew Delvadova was literally like going and getting aspirated on the bench so that he can uh, come back into the game and you know curry clamp. But it's like yeah, LeBron's carrying like Amon Shumpert across the finish line. It's like yeah. Uh, yeah, Iggy was clearly the best player in the finals. It's like yeah, I, I don't exactly think so. like. I get it, narratives and all that, and then right. LeBron has certainly been helped by narratives in his career. Uh, but also yeah. true. But uh, yeah, man, this was uh, this was fun. I always enjoy talking. Um, we'll have to certainly do it again sometime. Uh, I'm looking at my calendar. Uh, we don't play again until uh, until next next half of the schedule, which is weird because normally it feels like by this time in the season we've played eight times already. <laughs> I know, right? And it's always a rock fight. Um, this is the first time in forever it feels like that they this was not a close game like I feel like the Pistons no matter how bad the Pistons are or or how um, out of sync the the Pacers are it is a a tight game like regardless and Andre always played a big part of that unfortunately things are things are not going well for Andre in Cleveland now Uh, (laughs) they looked good for like the first 20 games and since the Jared Allen trade, not so much. Yeah, not, um, not so much. He didn't like the Jared Allen trade. That he happens. He did not like the Jared Allen trade. But, uh, yeah, so he's – I don't think he's long for Cleveland. Uh, but, yeah, man, we'll see. Um, Laz, this was this was fun. I, I'd say – do you want to plug anything? But I think, you know, we have this both coming up on our feed, so we don't have to plug anything. But, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Any, uh, any closing remarks? I don't know. I mean uh, – no, I mean, I'm good. I'll still plug my stuff, uh, obviously, just because that's what I do at the end of podcasts. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me for the Pacers fans listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. And it's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. I host two podcasts about the Detroit Pistons, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and the Pistons versus Everybody podcast, which this one is, is going to be. So, you know, subscribe to both of those. Do whatever you got to do to get both of those into your feeds. And, you know, guys, cherish Mark. Mark's Mark's a rising star in NBA Twitter. You, you guys gotta appreciate what best. you have. Now, Mark Mark made me read a thousand words on Thad Young, and I like <laughs> all of them. Like that's a skill, man. So I yeah, appreciate appreciate Mark, guys. Thank you. I appreciate that, last. Yeah, you can follow me at M Schindler NBA. Um, I, I tweet a lot about basketball, rap music, and food, and that's really uh, that's really about it. And my dog. Can't forget my do- my dog's like half my tweets. Um, yeah. 